Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, November 28th. Time for the Power Hour. I've got the team here with me from Pittsburgh Power. We've got Pete and Leroy and Bruce. We've got open phone lines. Looks like calls are already starting to come in. Jump in and join us. If you have a question about maintenance, anything goes. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, emissions, electronics, you name it. We'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. 855-950-3835. We'll hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. Then we will get to your calls and questions. Bruce, good morning. You're first up today. Well, good morning, Kevin. It's nice to be here. I was uh, yeah. I was speaking with David Owen yesterday from Nastic, and he said to tell you hi and that you are a very interesting person. That's what he said. <laughs> I, <see. laughs> I, never, I never even got to talk to him. He said he was uh, standing next to you, and he was listening to you talk to other people. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tell him I said thank you. Yeah. I told him you're, you yeah. are the most curious man in the world. That's what I told him. <laughs> <laughs> You know, now you made me conscious whenever I start asking people questions I love about that, where they work and how they yeah, do stuff. And, and, and nobody can answer the questions. I said, what do you do here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's on yeah. your mind this morning? All right, this is uh, pickup truck and car related, and I'll make it quick. But here in Florida, when you go into these quick oil changes, they suck the oil out. And they won't take the pan cover off underneath the car and let the oil drain. Really? And I, yeah, now they suck it out the dipstick. I don't like that idea, but I have no other choice because I'm in a condo and I don't think they'd allow me changing my oil downstairs in the, in the parking lot. Probably not. I'm ready to buy some floor, floor jacks and rubber the plastic ramps and do my own. But, uh, you know, when you're in a condo, first time I've lived this way, other people mind your business. I don't mind their business, but they like to mind mine. So, uh, anyway, yeah, that uh, we we spent um, <laughs> some time in a condo on Daytona Beach about seven months, and uh, that was enough for me. It's a different way of yeah, the thing. You know, if you see a guy driving a truck the wrong way, and you say you comment to him, and he says, "You drive your truck, I'll drive mine." Well, I turned that around. <laughs> Because I sometimes walk the little puppy without a leash because he stays right behind me. And people, it's a leash law here. you got to have everything on a leash. And then they'll say, where's that leash for that dog? That dog's supposed to be on a leash. I said, you walk your dog, I'll walk mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, great way to make friends amongst old people, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so here's it on balancing tires. If you've got your car or your pickup and it's running smooth and you're going to rotate your tires, we have a place not far from the shop in Saxonburg called Miller Tire, and they they listen to you. By the way, uh, the girl that owns it bought it from her father, and her father used to be an owner-operator. So it's a, it's a small place, and I like to do business there. I say... We're going to rotate the tires, 40, 40 or $45 to balance four tires and rotate them. It's 165 in Florida, but that's the beauty of Saxonburg. Yeah. So 
I say, take the tire off, do not take the weights off, and spin it, and add what it needs. And I just had it done a month ago. Each tire took a half of an ounce. Okay. Now, let me tell you where this came from. When I buy a new tire, you have them balance it. I say, now take it off your machine, turn it 90 degrees, turn it 180, I don't care. Put it back on the machine. It'll be out of balance. Oh, no, it won't. This machine's calibrated. This is the world's greatest. We just bought this. I said, I know. I know. I've heard all the stories. And put it back on the machine. And they have to add more weight. And then they stand there and they look dumbfounded. I said, it's always been that way. So back in the early 70s when I was road racing the 66 Corvette, John Walker worked at an American gas station. And he worked in the evening, and he was the only one there. So I'd take the race car tires in. We'd balance them four and five times. Wow. So why take the weights off of a tire that is already balanced? Right. But I can't get people down here to listen to me, and it gets very frustrating. So yesterday, we take my brothers. I gave my 2013 A8L, and I know it needed an alignment, Audi. We take it into a German car specialist. They say the tires are worn. I say, I know, but I want you to see how they're worn so you know what to do with the alignment. Well, we can't align it. I said, what do you mean you can't align it? You always align a car with war tires. Oh, no, you put new tires on, then you align it. I said, you know, I've been doing this since 1965, and you are the only people that have ever said that to me. I said, I'm 74 years old, so since 1965, you weren't even alive. <laughs> and and yeah, I tell you, it gets so frustrating. Yeah, it does. And, and the same thing happens. Years ago, friends of ours, J.A. Trucking from Bronzeville, PA, Jeff Francia had a big Cam 350 rebuilt in Salt Lake, and his driver called him. He said, this truck's not running right. He never left Salt Lake. So Jeff called me. I called out to a Cummins dealer. And I said, uh, did you test drive this truck? We don't test drive trucks. And I said, how do you know they're right? We build them to the spec. I said, okay. All right. So put a boost gauge on this truck and take it for a ride and tell me if it makes 18 pounds of boost. He said, we don't have a boost gauge. <laughs> I said, you don't have a boost gauge. Back then, they were like $35. You're right. No, we don't have a boost gauge. I told Jeff, just just have the driver bring it in. We'll fix it. So the frustration level continues. And I guess it'll continue the rest of your life, the rest of my life, because people just don't listen. But I had a young man with a repaired 2009 ISX and a W9 from Maryland. He likes to run at 70 mile an hour, 336 gears, low pro 22.5, and he gets 5.4 miles a gallon on average. 10 to 12 pound of boost to go 70 miles an hour. So he was had a short run to North Carolina, North or South Carolina last night, and he had plenty of time. 10 o'clock last night, I'm on the phone with him and teaching him how to drive by the boost gauge. And I had him down to the... Kevin Rutherford speed, 58 to 60. And then on 62 and 64, I took him from 10 and 12 pound of boost. We got him down to two and three. Wow. At 62 miles an hour. Wow. 
I said, no, I don't expect you to drive that, but what time are you going to get to where you're going to deliver? He said, 3 a.m. I said, what time do they open? 8 a.m. I said, so you've got five hours to kill. So what difference does it make if it takes a half hour longer? You're going to gain a mile with a gallon. I said, and is the engine and the transmission quiet or is the truck quiet? He said, man, what a difference. Yeah. I said, so just do that for the rest of the, the rest of the trip and let's see what happens. So, and he was 32 years old. There you go. So it was kind of interesting to see. And I said, now we get 247 gears in that truck. Now we can bring the speed back up. And it's got a Ford Warner turbo on a Cummins engine, which we disagree with. And I'm trying to find out what the specs are in this turbo because I think it's spec wrong. But um, anyway, it can happen. Yes. You just have to listen and pay attention and think. There you go. All right. What else you got today? That's it. All right. So let's uh, let's hear from the dynamic duo, Pete and Leroy. Good morning, guys. I like that. I, like I know. That. Good morning, Kevin. How are you today? Good. Good. We just have to decide now who, which one is Robin. I'm Robin. <laughs> I thought that. I'm glad you yeah. uh, volunteered. You guys yeah, sound too. you sound like you're on the other side of the room, though. Uh, sounds like the come back over here, Pete. Yeah, sounds like the mic is far apart. <laughs> are you on headsets? We're on headsets. Yeah, we're on the board. Yeah, it doesn't. How do I fix this? It doesn't sound like your audio is coming through a headset. I think it's being picked up by a laptop speaker or something. So that's the problem we had when we tried to get on. Um, you guys are coming through the laptop instead of the headset. That that's what's happening now. I, I your audio is coming through the laptop microphone, not your headset. Okay. Something might have changed. Uh, Angie saying it sounded good when she put you in the queue. Okay. Uh, I see the problem. I just don't know how to fix it here. Now that sounded okay there. It was better. You you, you were probably just closer to the laptop. I think is what's happening. I am closer. Yeah. Yeah. That's the so so now I know for sure it's the laptop picking up your audio. <laughs> All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you guys back in the queue. Um, just send us a text when you think you've got it figured out. Um, Bruce, anything we want to talk about, or should we start tackling some calls without him? Are you still on the road? I am still on the road. I'm back in Nashville again. Are you kidding me? No, so I left Nashville after the NASDAQ event and went down to Chattanooga for a week for the F3 event. Then I left Chattanooga, and uh, David Owen invited me down to his house in Destin. So I went down there and spent uh, a week, uh, actually almost 10 days down in Destin. Then I left there and went to uh, Theodore, Alabama, and hung out with uh, David Counts at Fleet Air Filter for a couple days, actually two days. And then I went uh, up to Tuscaloosa uh, and spent a day with Brent Hutto from truckstop.com. And now I'm back in Nashville working with uh, NASTIC all this week and next week. And then next Friday, I think it's Friday, I'll do, um, they have their one-day training they do every month for new new carriers. So um, David wanted me to do that training with him. And then uh, 
Then I'll start heading home on the 9th. And I've got to be in Boise on the 12th uh, to uh, talk to the truckstop.com sales team. Then I'll get to go home. Awesome. The motorhome is well worth it for this type of... Boy, and this, this time, I'll tell you what a difference. The last trip, every day I was working on something on the side of the road. I was broke down somewhere. This trip, everything has just been wonderful. The new tune is amazing. Everything's running good. I haven't had any... Well, I had to fix a couple little leaks on an air conditioner they worked on. But um, other than that, everything's been working. It's been comfortable. Um, oh, did I tell you the catalyst story? I don't think I did. No. I finally have my own catalyst testimonial. Okay. So I did talk about... You know, I could feel the difference in, in the exhaust. It was cleaning up the exhaust. It was running better. But that's all kind of... Uh, you know, that that's a feeling. You know, I couldn't measure anything, mm -hmm. but it, I could tell there was a difference in the exhaust cleaned up. But ever since I've had this coach, my Aqua Hot, which is like the boiler system that it, I have heat, I have uh, hot water, unlimited hot water. It'll circulate. Like a Wabasco S-Par it, heater. It, it's like it works just like a Wabasto, except it, that that diesel-fired heater is used to heat up a boiler. And it's got, the boiler has propylene glycol in it, which is basically the same as Evan's coolant. And then it circulates that coolant through the heaters in the coach for heat. Uh, it's unlimited hot water, and it'll also circulate through the block to keep the block warm. So I absolutely love the system when it works. But since I've had this coach, it has been so intermittent. It'll work right for two weeks, and then all of a sudden it won't work right. And I've worked through so many problems. I've had them rebuild it twice. And then I realized it's still not working sometimes. I got through, there were some voltage issues. So I, when I put new batteries in, it took care of that. Uh, there's some low temp sensors that go off if you let the heating bay get too cold during the night. So I finally worked through those. They rebuilt it twice. And then I realized what was happening now is every once in a while, and it was really like once or twice a week, uh, you could hear the diesel-fired heater trying to start, but it wouldn't ignite. And then it would just stop, and, and it would fail, and you'd have to go through the startup process again. And um, once in a while, you just wouldn't get it at all, and I'd have to come back to it later. So I called the shop, and I said, pull all the records, everything you've ever done on this Aquahot, and tell me what's left. What isn't working right? And um, he said, well, one of the problems we see is the fuel lines will start sucking air. He said, so you could replace the fuel lines yourself. It's, it's time consuming because it's hard to get to them. But that sometimes takes care of this. Then I was talking to David Counts, and he said their biggest problem on these is soot. Soot builds up on the diesel-fired heater, and it just doesn't want to fire, and it burns dirty. And so I realized that uh, it's not doing it anymore fixed itself and the only and after talking to david counts i said so the catalyst would be good for this then he said the catalyst is awesome for these and sure enough this trip i've been running catalyst on every tank and it's just fixed itself it fires up every time now that's amazing yeah and we've heard stories for the last five years especially in the winter time about the um 
Wabasco's in the S-bars, and they make them trouble-free. It's like it makes the emissions trouble-free. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, once I talked to David about it, it made total sense. He said they just get really sooted up, and then they got to go in and take, you know, tips off and clean everything. And he said, but if you run the catalyst, he said, that just won't happen. And he, it even cleaned mine up enough to get it working again. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Wonderful. Hey, I got a little story. All right. Last week I was at a resort and on the eastern side of Cabo as you start up and the uh, Sea of Cortez. And it's just this big resort out there. There's the closest town is like 15 minutes away. But um, this is a pretty ex- exclusive club that I got invited to. And uh, they have a gym. And in the gym they had this little stretching room and there was a Spanish girl, 37 years old, it did classes. And I got a, I went to a Pilates class. Wow. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> yeah, I know is. I got an extra 14 pounds around my waist, but wow. Yeah. So then she said, why don't you come back tomorrow and do a stretching class? I said, man, I do 25 minutes a day with the rope. And then she said, this is different. But about three months ago, on the nights I can't sleep, I listen to meditations. I put the earbuds in my my ears, and I lay. But you can feel the earbud from the pillow being pushed into your ear, and it it hurts. But I tolerated it, and then I started to get the foghorn sound in my head from that right ear. Every so many seconds, the foghorn's going off. Oh, boy. But it was only when I laid down on my right side. So I'm ready to make an appointment with ear, nose, and throat doctor. And there goes a couple thousand dollars because they're going to want to go in and do something. And But I didn't make the appointment. So she has me lying in this fetal position facing to the front of you. And then you turn your head and you look behind. I said, well, our neck won't that we're not owls <laughs> and she said do it slowly and come over and push a little on your neck a little on your head and different things and this class went on for an hour wore me out it's a yoga stretch class I, I was shocked that I've never seen this that night I'm laying in bed I roll over on my right side no foghorn in the ear wow or in the head and it's been gone that was last Wednesday when I did that. It's it's still gone. Wow. All from stretching. That's crazy. So now I got to try to get a video. Uh, next time my son-in-law goes down there, I said, get, get me a video of this girl doing this class. I got to remember everything she did so I can do this. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, Good. All right. Sometimes it's amazing how different things happen. There you go. And the catalyst is an amazing item that Dr. Jane came up with. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing how many problems it's fixed and how many problems it keeps from happening. Yeah, uh, no doubt. We're, you know, and we're I talking to guys with, with one boxes that are 680,000 miles and never had an issue. And, uh, we're taking some of them apart just to clean them. And, and they ran the, the catalyst almost its entire life. Yep. Let's, um, we're going to try Pete and Leroy again. I think they might have things fixed. Uh, let's go, let's give it a try. Sounds like you guys are still in the background. Well, I guess, are you guys still on 
right? Uh, we're like in the holding. No, I'm going gonna, gonna to put them back in the queue. Sounds like they're working on it. I see Pete's cell is there too now. Pete, yes. is that you? Yes, it is, Kevin. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, that's better. We're not figuring out the board, huh? Well, no, so Leroy is working with Aaron trying to get the board figured out. Okay. All right. So I figured I can get on the cell phone while they do that. Got it. All right. And there's some, uh, I can see some calls up here specifically for Leroy. So we'll uh, we'll jump around to some. Uh, let's go to this one. You guys ready to take some calls? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. Let's get started in Oklahoma. BJ, welcome. Hello, Kevin. How's everybody doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, just so happens you're talking about what I called in for. Uh, I have a motorhome. It's a gas motorhome, and I'm going to put in a diesel heater. So I have a separate diesel tank and stuff for it, and I wanted to ask everybody's opinions on what I can look forward to of running the catalyst in that separate tank for this diesel heater. Well, with my experience and um, the, the talk I had with uh, David Counts, who runs a big RV repair shop, body shop, everything, so he knows these things inside and out, um, he said any kind of aqua hot diesel-fired heaters, any of those, the, the single most important thing you could do would be to run the catalyst in it. Right. It's going to help remove a lot of the soot. And, and that was a, a problem we ran into years ago when a lot of trucks ran the, um, the, the different bunk heaters. Right. Um, they'd sit all summer. Um, and then they would carbon up and um, add the catalyst back then. Because Bruce's brother, Brian, had one in his Marmon. And every fall, we'd have to take it apart, clean it up, and get it fired up. And maybe, you know, twice a year, have to do the same thing. Um, they, they worked well when they worked, but uh, things sorting up was an issue. And, and the catalyst would have definitely taken care of that. Yeah, also, in doing some research on them, um, whenever you put them down on low, that's when they start to uh, uh, soot up or whatever. People are taking them apart and cleaning them. And so I wanted to see uh, if running this stuff, I'm sure that it will keep all that cleared out when you run it on low. Correct. The um, the other thing that um, David highly recommended for RVs in these types of heaters, because they do sit, is some sort of a stabilizer, uh, like stable for diesel. So that's the other thing I'm definitely going to do. I always top off my tank before I store it, and it's not going to be used for a while. But now I'm going to start putting the st- – I don't know why I didn't think of that before. It just makes sense. Yeah, I have a. I purchased a 17 gallon tank just for this heater. Got it. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. So keep up and everybody online. Yeah. Keep catalyst in it when you're using it. Keep stable in it when it's not being used. <clears throat> gotcha. Uh, the other question I have, I guess, for Bruce is, I'm not going to need a gallon of this stuff. Is there some small container that you guys sell that I can get a hold of? And yeah, get a half gallon. gallon. <laughs> Get a half a gallon and use it in everything you own that has gasoline or diesel. Okay, and how would I measure out uh, per gallon on this? One cc per gallon. You need a syringe, so and we have syringes. Right. I have a ratio right for two-stroke. Yeah, the ratio right works good for if you're going to do 25 gallons, but if you're only going to buy 5 or 10 gallons, you need to use a syringe. One milliliter or one cc per gallon? One cc. 
Okay. Perfect. Well, thank you, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, let's, Pete, any uh, any progress over there yet? Uh, what's going on? We're going to reboot the computer. Got it. Okay. All right. Let's, um, well, let's stay right on that topic. Let's go to New York. Jay, welcome. Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Question, can you use the fuel catalyst on home heating oil? Absolutely. The home heating oil works the same way as Kevin's heater in his motor home. It works the same as the Espire. It's a, an injector that shoots fuel into a chamber, and it's ignited. So by all means, put the max mileage catalyst in your home heating oil. And it'll keep your it, furnace running trouble-free all winter. You know, isn't... What would um, be the, the mixture, the, the diesel mixture or the fuel mixture? Same, it's the same thing. The well, diesel one is one CC, ounce 25 gallons. Yeah, but but one ounce is like 29.75 cc's. Okay. So it's still one so ounce. For, one ounce to 25 gallon for gasoline and one ounce to 25 gallon for diesel fuel. Okay, so use the diesel fuel ratio. Yeah, because that's what uh, heating oil is, basically. Yeah, okay. you know what I was... All right. I was talking about this the other day with somebody, and something came up, and it dawned on me. I can't remember why I was comparing them, but um, I went and checked, and home heating oil, which basically is diesel, uh, except it's not um, uh, low sulfur. It's not ultra-low sulfur. Now, somebody oh, yeah. responded that they, when they order it, they have the option of, you know, just the plain old diesel with all the sulfur in it or an ultra-low. But it sounds to me like a lot of the home heating oil is not ultra-low sulfur. may even be more important to run it in that. Let's, uh, boy, we've got all kinds of calls on this topic, so we'll just stick with them. Let's go to Ohio. Bill, welcome. Hey, how you guys doing? Good. Just a quick note. I've I've had um I've got that uh bunk heater in my truck. I've got a used catalyst since day one I bought this truck. I'm going on four years and not had one lick of problem with that Wabasco because it the the fuel goes to my tri pack and my bunk heater, no problem. And uh, and that um catalyst is like gold. You you know. Pete, you remember whenever the SPARs and the Wabascos came out, the nightmares we had with those things. And and I kept saying, man, there's got to be a better way to make heat. Well, you know, man, mm-hmm. put them back together and hope to God you didn't blow it up. Yep, and uh, now now they're trouble-free. Yeah, four years. Maybe Who would have ever thought? Yeah. Okay. You know, we all never believed the mechanic in a can or mechanic in a bottle, but, boy, I have to take that saying back. Yeah. 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 Other than that, that's all. Just a quick uh, testimonial. No, you guys are. Well, thank you. Go. Got it. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's. Uh, yeah, we love to have emails on these testimonials because we put them on the website. Yeah. There you go. Uh, and and you know if you look at a testimonial from any other product, they'll put Susan G. <laughs> Not us. We put the person's whole name, and and you you want their phone number, we'll supply that too because we don't have anything to hide. Yeah, it's the real thing. It's not a bunch you know, of made up testimonies. You know, Kevin, it goes back to it goes back to you know, forty seven years. We've tried so many things, and so many things don't work. But the ones that do work, you adopt and you keep. 
and you make it your daily practice to use them. And the ratio is probably one to 12, one to every 12 items, one works and 11 don't. Yeah. And, uh, but everything we do and everything we sell works and, and, uh, that's why we want to keep it that way. There you go. All right. Let's go to Florida. Tony, it's your turn. Kevin, Bruce, Pete, Leroy, how are you doing? Good morning. Doing good. Bruce? Yes, sir. Uh, pizza. Are you staying over here by me? Where, where are you? Mm, don't know if I should say. Uh, I thought uh, you had a relative. Are you, in Punta, are you in Punta Gorda? I sure am. Yeah, absolutely. Well, could I bring you my dad's LT1 Corvette? And that way, if you don't want to meet me, you can look at the Corvette. No, no, no. Let's go to lunch someday. Has to be Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Okay. Call me after. Call me right after the show because I've uh, I, uh, I have to leave here at one o'clock. Yeah, well, I won't be back till uh, uh, Friday. <laughs> call so. me. Tom- call me tomorrow morning. Yeah. Um, okay. Everybody thinks I have your number, and I don't. But uh, yeah. I'll, well, that's I'll, all right. Just hey, uh, you call the office. Uh, hey, I'm on an office phone here. Got a call, so. Oh. Kevin, yeah, do so you I'm, know anybody on I-10 uh, that sells air filters? I think I do. I think <laughs> I think there's a, an exit just near uh, Mobile. You might be able to pick something up. Yeah, not this time again, but uh, but we'll we'll be close in a couple minutes. I just I am crossing the Alabama line right now on I-10 West. Got it. Speaking of catalyst. Wouldn't it be great if we had catalysts for the human body? I think we do. But how come it didn't fix my heater? It fixed yours. But sure I did. But I having a trouble. The heater in this pack car. Do you Can have I a diesel-fired heater? On? Do you have a diesel-fired no, heater? No, Bruce. It's just the, the normal uh, pack car heater. It might be the blend door. Uh, well, no, wait, a sec- wait a second. Wait a second. Oh, hold on a second. So the catalyst can't fix your heater because there's no fire in your heater. Your just heater works off of hot water I know. from the I was, engine. I was just kidding. Okay. Uh, and it's Kevin does have, mine. hey, by the way, Kevin has a whole bunch of catalysts for the human body at his place there. Yeah, we do. That's good. Um, it's, it went to where it was ice cold all the way from 60 to 82, but if you put it all the way over onto 84, and that's supposed to be temperature in this, on this dial here, it would, bl- it would blast hot air, but only at the highest setting. But now it won't even do that. It's, it's cold air all the way around, ice cold, and it's cold now, so I am freezing. There's no that, way to get heat. That sounds to me like that switch is bad. That sounds like a rheostat kind of switch, and it sounds like the switch itself is bad. Okay. Can you hear out of this one? I mean, there are other things, but that since it was working, then it was only working when you turned it all the way. Now that's not even working. I, I would probably start with that switch. Okay, great. All right, that sounds good. Yeah, that's pretty much all I got. All right. We could have gone... We will talk to you again next time.
Let's go to Hey oh, Kevin. Hi. Kevin, real quick. Yeah. I think we got the headset working. All right, you let me uh You can hang uh, up. We uh, okay, now I'll that that sounds better. Okay. Go ahead, Leroy. Uh, are we back? Oh, yes. Back, Kevin. That sounds better. All right. It was just as usual, the simplest thing is just to restart the computer. That, sometimes that's all uh, it me, takes. Let me say something. With Aaron Yunt and Leroy Pershing working on something, if it can't be fixed, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I felt pretty confident with those two working on it. They'd figure something out. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we've got, uh, we've got Brian on the line with us in Ohio. Brian, go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. What's on your mind today? Uh, just wanted to make a comment to the first caller there who was going to install a Wabasto heater into a gas. I think I got the impression it was a gas-powered motorhome. And yes. he was going to retrofit a diesel one. Yeah. Wabasto does make, Wabasto does make a gas-fired one. And it is very popular with people that do this van lifing, and they live in uh, live in the vans or vacation in these vans where Robasto does make a gas powered heater. Okay, so he would not have to do this fuel tank and all that stuff. Interesting. So on um, on our Sprinter, we've got a uh, 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 what are they called on demand water heater on that one too. It's propane fired. That's made by Truma. Those are it's like the high end on the uh, motorhome side for for uh, propane fired heaters, but it's the same kind of setup. Interesting, yeah, yeah. I I just got done installing a Wabasto diesel one into uh, on the bunk of my Kenworth here l- last weekend, and I um, uh, just love the units. I've ran them for years and wanted to offer that. I had some issues with some of the wiring on it, and I found a great shop up in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, that the service manager, Justin, is just a wizard with these things, and he was able, turns out I was shipped a wrong harness for the, the thermostat controller, and this young man uh, kind of took all my information and he was able to figure out what I needed and he knows all the models of these heaters. The Wabasto has changed about three different, they're on like, my thermostat is a 3.0 version, so they're on at least three different versions in the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Okay. So he, he is just uh, a, a whiz up there. Got it. You know, uh, Wisconsin, Wisconsin's an interesting state. Uh, there was a lot of tool and die manufacturing in Wisconsin, and, and when you think Snap-on tools and Harvard filters and Harley Davisons all came from Wisconsin, it's there's a whole lot more going on there than dairy and cheese, and uh, a lot of, a lot of great mechanics up there and a lot of great owner operators in the state of Wisconsin. Yes, yes, I agree. A lot of big iron comes out of there. Um, with with that subject, I want to also share that I've been running pre-emission CAT since about 1997, and I've uh, just kind of kept hanging on to my old iron, fixing them up, and I've done my last project with a conversion of the 264. I had 336s, three, three, 355s over the years, 
and this is my first 264. And I, I called in last year when I was in the middle of this project, and uh, we were discussing the, the torque ratings for the drive line that I would need for this truck because of the direct drive and uh, ended up building the bigger drive line for it. And I wanted to say, people, I, what, a, what a pleasure to drive this. It is, it is just a night and day difference. I wish I would have jumped on this bandwagon 10 years ago. Isn't that amazing? And how many times do we hear this, Kevin? Once you gear a truck to run in direct gear, it's, it's a world of difference because of that 240 foot pound of torque, 80 horsepower, everything's quieter. You're not turning all the gears in the tail shaft. And, yep. I'm yeah, glad you that, mentioned that. I can, you know, monitor my boost gauge and when I'm, Got a little slightly decline, like coming out of uh, Cheyenne, Wyoming, going east. Where you can put her in the big hole and just idle along at 70-plus miles an hour and barely use any boost, and I'm at low RPM. And, yeah, it's just it's, it's just an awesome combination. Yeah, yeah I see, because you're crossing the Continental Divide, and it's all downhill all the way to Nebraska. Yep, yep, I do that route quite frequently so it's yeah you know, so you know and you get used to that uh now some people have uh, something in their truck that's telling them the elevation changes but you just have to look at that continental divide and you have to think of from the east coast to the west coast the highest point basically in the u.s is that continental divide and that's why the water on the eastern side flows east and the western side flows west and once you cross that and you have 264 gears and you have a 13 or an 18 speed you can use the other two top gears and just just let her roll yeah yeah it's funny you say that i monitor my elevation on my gps quite often i have a setting on it right now yeah and yeah i just kind of uh i i monitor that to keep uh keep my right foot to to train my right foot a little more that's right hey uh years ago Years ago, there was a company that hauled air freight from New York City to Miami. These guys would fly down I-95 because it was air freight, but it was going in a truck. And they would always tell me they get better fuel mileage going from New York to Miami than Miami back to New York. What's well, all sea level, basically, right? I-95, except for the overpasses. But think of where we sit on the globe. Where the United States is on the globe, if if gravity stopped right now, where would we go? We'd all fall off. True, true. Right? We'd all fall off because we're on the side of the globe. People at the equator and below, they really got a problem. They're going to fall right off. We might roll down and fall off. But so, and Kevin, think about this. And if you think I'm wrong, say something. But when you're going from Miami, you're still going up. You're climbing up the globe. No, I don't think. But this is making my brain hurt. Where's Leroy? He's, he's got to be the smartest one of us all. Leroy, jump in here. Oh, I have no idea. Come on. You're not you know, getting much altitude difference between Miami and D.C. No. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute, Bruce. Wait a minute. If this were true, wait, wait. When I, I have a way to disprove this. If this were true, why can't I just put my truck in neutral in New York and coast all the way to Florida? Then 
It's all downhill. <laughs> Not that much. <laughs> There's still gravity holding you back a little bit, right? I, I, you know? I, I don't Somebody know. Somebody once said there is no gravity. The earth sucks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's sucking us down. The earth is sucking us down to it, right? So, but the angle of the direction that the sun hits us is changes with the season, you know, why it's it, like the it turns axis. That's so right turn. now we're further up. One we're further up on the globe. And then you go the way, the other way. Well, but if, no. if this were true, maybe not enough to make a whole vehicle move, but stuff would like fall off of our desk. No, because the gravity holds it. The gravity is holding it. So Pete, when we ran that 96 Dooley mm-hmm. doing from the Dallas truck show, we always got better fuel mileage going to Dallas and from Dallas to Pittsburgh. I don't think it has anything to do with gravity in the globe. I know on my way home, I'm running much faster because I want to get home. <laughs> on the way down, <laughs> I'm taking my time. I can myself an extra day to get there. Yeah, that's so right. No, 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 no. We tested. Wait. Many times we tested some products we found at the Dallas show for fuel mileage, and we would Wait. put them in the tank Wait. in Dallas and drive Wait. them back. We never got. We need a physics mileage. professor. Yeah. Okay. Well, they'll disagree. Yeah, probably. Probably. It's just some, you know, it's just some of the things you think about. It, it, that's for sure. So one more, one more, one more comment that doesn't have to do with gravity. Uh, <laughs> going back to the uh, truck with two sixty fours, I had this into Pittsburgh Power and had it dynoed before I did the regearing, and um, according to my readout. I, at my cruise RPM of 1,450, I was put, was doing 514 horse, or no, I'm sorry, 500, yeah, 514 horse and 1,750 foot-pounds of torque. How much do you think that increased, Bruce, by when I changed the gearing? Well, keep in mind... When we have you on a dyno, we already we run the transmission in direct. It was, yes. So the difference, the difference, you know, and trucks are going to vary, and some people say, no, it's not that much or it's more. But uh, years ago, they said between direct and overdrive, you lost 20%. And we say it's more like 15%. But we've seen many times about 80 horsepower on a dyno, the difference. And... Hey. It's usually a three-to-one ratio, three foot-pound of torque for every horsepower. Okay, but this would be the same because it was dynoed indirect, and I'm running down the road indirect. Right, but now you're running down the road where before you had to run in double over, so you had 20% less. Okay. Or we we think today it's more like 15%, but it's somewhere between 15 and 20%. So if I was look, wanting a little bit more power, I'd be uh, maybe a, maybe a, a a program would do that for me. I was thinking, sure. I would be, yeah, yeah, just have Leroy or Jr. program it. Get a get up a little closer. You know, it's a, a little yeah. more is always nice, but okay. So when you have your shifter, your shifter's forward now, and your button's back. 
buttons or it's forward. a shifter forward and it buttons forward. So shifter button forward, forward, button forward. Yeah, we're up against the, the dash like the old days. So let me ask you a question. Can you still rest your hand on the shifter? I got it there right now. Okay, so that's good. I was wondering that because that's where I like always like to put my hand was on the shifter. Yep, yep, and then it gives a little bit more room between the passenger seat and the shifter when the wife wants to crawl in and out of there. Yeah. You know what? You know the bad thing about an automatic? You don't have that shifter to put your hand on. You don't have a place to yeah. rest your hand. A friend of mine got a new truck with an automatic there, and I bought him a toilet plunger and told him just to spit that on the floor. <laughs> put a shifter knob on top of it, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, that's all I got today. All right, that's all we need. Keep hey, all keep right. thinking. I I see you're a thinker, so keep thinking. All right, Bruce. Somebody sent me a map with elevation from Tampa, uh, somewhere up the east coast. There, where is it going? Uh, New York, it looks like. So it turns out that about. Uh, 200 miles into the trip, the elevation climbs up over to about 350 feet. Then it stays up around 200 or so till you get about eight miles, 800 miles into the trip, and then it levels off again. So my guess is that the poles are steeper in one direction, more gradual in the other. That's going to be my guess. That could be. That very well could be. All right. Let's grab some more calls because they're starting to pile up on us here. Um, let's go to Iowa. Jerry, welcome. Well, good morning. I have a question for Leroy, so I'm glad he got his headset fixed. All right. Good morning, Leroy. Good morning. All right. This is a brand-new problem, and I do believe it's electrical. And although when I first start telling the story, you'll think it's not, but bear with me, and we'll get to the end and see if you have a solution. I have a startability problem. I have a uh, Signature 600 Cummins ISX, but it has, which is a, based on the 570 platform. However, it's got a CM870 fuel system on it, if that makes any difference to you, just so you know that. I got back home last, never had a problem with it before. I got back home last Wednesday night. I parked the truck in my driveway. Uh, I get up, uh, it sat all day Thursday, I got up Friday morning, I had to go get some tires put on the truck, so about mid-morning I tried to start the truck and it absolutely would not start, just crank and turn and turn and turn and turn and turn, would not start. I did get it started with a little shot of ether, once it got started it ran just fine, so my assumption was it's somehow it's losing its prime, however, let me finish the story and then you tell me whether that's right or not. Uh, sat... Friday night I got back and I decided, you know, it's a good time of year to be sure my block heater's working. So I plugged it in on Friday night. Saturday morning I went out to start it, popped right off, didn't hardly get my hand off the key quick enough, and it started right off. I left on Saturday afternoon, parked on Saturday night. It was cold enough. I ran my APU to keep the uh, truck and engine warm. Sunday morning it popped right off, no problem whatsoever. I got to my destination on Sunday night. I was behind some trees out of the wind. I did not run the APU. Monday morning, it did not want to start again. It would just chug a lug and like it was trying to start, but it wouldn't start. And it finally did, though. Then on uh, on Monday, it did finally start without ether. It did finally catch 
Monday night, I parked. It was like 10 degrees, and I ran my APU, and this morning it popped right off. No problem, no hesitation whatsoever. What in that fuel system is temperature-related that can make it start or not start? Um, there's nothing really temperature-sensitive, but I will say I just got a call about this yesterday. We kind of it wasn't worked. me. Um, so the, the only thing electrically, especially when you say it tries to start, like the, the instances where you say the engine doesn't start, it at least sounds like it's trying to start, correct? Well, last Friday, it didn't even try to want to start. It, it wouldn't even, didn't even act like it was firing at all. On uh, sun, uh, Monday morning, when it was starting, it was just like it would chug a little and just chug a little and then not start. Although I continued to crank and crank and crank, and it finally did start. Okay, so just if we just ignore all the mechanical things that it could be if we're just looking at it from a purely electrical standpoint the the things that it could be when you try to start it and it doesn't fire and doesn't even sound like it wants to try it could be the ecm's not turning on um which they had those old 570s had issues with the main power plug um they didn't they always have issues at the plug whether it's like corrosion or whether like the wires come loose from the pin that's a common thing on those uh, the other thing is if it dcm does turn on it needs to have cam and crank signal. If it has one of those, it'll probably start. Oh, that could be the other thing that's not happening. And the other one, which I think might be related because it can happen in both instances, is they did have a lot of issues back in the day with the 570 and the 870 with the fuel shutoff solenoid. The ECM powers the fuel shutoff solenoid and they had internal ECM issues where they just couldn't drive enough current, I guess, to hold the solenoid. The solenoid itself would have issues, and the solenoid may be temperature sensitive because you actually have mechanically moving parts. Okay. That would probably be the first place I would look. If it were my truck, I would check the connection. I would pull the, the four-pin plug off of the ECM, see if the wires feel loose, frayed, if there's any corrosion in there. That would be the first place to check. And then the okay. second, I would check the connection to the fuel shutoff solenoid and potentially have one on hand so next time it does this, you could just maybe swap it out. Okay. Well, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, I understand how how a fuel solenoid, you know, the internal working parts could be temperature sensitive, not electrically sensitive, but temperature sensitive. So I understand that. That makes sense. So well, the other thing you could do is if you have a test wire in your truck, if it if it does it to you, just jump, try jumping 12 volts from like uh, your starter or something over to it. If the ECM is having an issue and can't drive the current, maybe something right off the starter will drive it. And it doesn't hurt the ECM to do that. So. To jump 12 volts to the shutoff solenoid? And it should kick off. Okay, okay. And if that okay. still doesn't want to work, then it just might be mechanically toast. But those are all the electrically, that, those are all the electrical issues you could have that would prevent the engine from starting. Okay, the uh, fuel shutoff solenoid, it's just, a, it's just a 12 volt on and off. I mean, it's you either got 12 volts to it or you don't have 12 volts to it, correct? Yep. It's not it, some goofy, it's not some goofy 0.3 volts or nothing like that. It's just a flat out 12 volt. It's flat 12, just like they used okay. to be, just like the good Lord oh. intent. Yeah, exactly. It's way all I'm going to be. So, so I could just jump a, yeah, if I had a little jumper wire, I see what you mean to, to jump it to the, so, if it doesn't want to start, all I got to do is jump out and put a, uh, put a little jumper wire onto the solenoid. Yeah, that, that, that's just a test you can do. Uh, and then from there, I mean, that's not obviously a long-term solution. Oh, no, I understand. It might, be, it might start to give you a little bit of an indication which direction to go, whether it's a ECM okay. or wiring thing or if it's the solenoid itself. But 
Now, what if I tested the plug going to the solenoid? Shouldn't you have 12 volts there? Yeah, you should. So if you didn't have 12, I mean, you could do it either way. If you could plug a wire in the solenoid and get it started, but yet, on the other hand, if it's not wanting to start and I tested the the voltage at the end of the plug that goes into the solenoid and didn't have a solid 12 volts, that would indicate yeah. an ECM. Yeah, you'll see it drop a little bit when you're trying to crank it. Right. But you should still have power there. Okay, okay. So for some reason, you check. all you got to do is turn the key on and check the power at the plug on the solenoid, and just sitting there static, it should have 12 volts there, and if it doesn't, then I know that's a problem. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I just couldn't, I, I just could not come up in my mind of what was temperature related that would would make it do it. It's just really an oddball thing for, for it to be temperature related that way. So Yeah, that's the only thing that comes to my mind if we completely ignore all the mechanical um, is the shutoff. Time, all right. I, those had a lot of issues. So. All right. Well, uh, I know that's not too hard. Hey, be, before you go, before you go, yes, sir. Uh, you know, Pete and I are mechanical guys. And back in the days of the big cams, you never put injectors in a cold engine because it would cut the O-rings on the injectors. And we would tell people sometimes, if it was wintertime, have your block heater on and maybe keep the injectors in the refrigerator. Keep them somewhere in a cool part of the garage, but keep the block heater on so you don't shave the O-rings when they're going in. And it was the same way with putting a liner when you were rebuilding an engine. So temperature really affects things. The ideal temperature for setting the overhead is 72 degrees. And who's to say that an electrical component isn't being affected by temperature? Extremely good point. You know, I just hadn't even thought of that little solenoid thing uh, having any effect on it, but good point. We had ECM years ago. We had a, a truck issue, and it only acted up when it was very cold out and every time the customers here it wasn't cold enough so one of the guys here had the idea of at in the evening we took his ecm off threw it in a freezer first thing in the morning put it back on the truck and tried to fire the truck up and it wouldn't fire up because anytime huh. it was of a certain temperature the truck acted normal it was it was a detroit but the ecm had a problem with, with cold weather and the temperature of a freezer wasn't up to affect it so cold, you know, cold weather can even affect the ECM. Yeah, we, we've had it both ways. That only, that only crap out when they're hot. I have a video of one where I have like a heat gun on it as it's running on the tester, and you can hear as it starts to heat up, the injectors start to die. It was really you hear like a misfire, then two misfires, and then it just shut off. Huh. Well, I'll uh, I'll try the fuel solenoid first. That's a pretty simple, simple uh, effective place to change it. So I'll try to try that first. Thank you, fellas. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida. Stephen, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. I had uh, two questions, one about the one box and one about replacing the DD-15 when it comes time to replace it. I've got a 2018 Freightliner, 963,000 miles, and I had it in Freightliner last week for uh, a sensor issue. And they, when the truck was running, they hooked the computer to it. And when they were done, they said that the one box, it's still got the original one box. And they said that 
on the computer, it's not it's not running the best. It was like low on the spectrum or something. So they they're warning me that it's getting close to uh, replacing it. And my miles per gallon for the DEF has gone from around 200 miles per gallon down to about 180. So would you guys agree with that? That it's about about time just to because re- we're going on vacation in two weeks, and I'm debating on just replacing it uh, without it giving me any trouble. With that kind of miles on the one box, I mean, you got your money's worth out of that. I mean, they they do have a lifespan, and we've seen one boxes fail under 600,000 miles. Mostly, it's 700 or so, but. You know, if you got 900,000 plus on your one box, you did good. Or was he talking about replacing the engine? Is he saying the well, engine's worn out? Or no, the box? no, 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 separate question. One was the one box. The second with the engine, when it comes time to replace the engine, does Pittsburgh Power, can you guys custom build a DD-15? Or is it best just to buy a Detroit trade engine and then maybe just have you guys put your program in it? So we haven't built any DD-15s. Very few shops do it. They, they almost all swing engines, um, one time factor, and also cost. On some engines, it's cost-effective to rebuild them. When you add up the cost of the parts, uh, it's, it's kind of cost-effective just to throw a reman engine in and be done with it. Okay. And can you guys get uh, Detroit reman engines, or is it also mm-hmm. best just go through freight? And I have a better warranty, too. Yeah, I'm sure that if the remand would have a better warranty, and you probably have a couple options of upgrading the warranty should you want to, and you can have warranty out of anywhere. Okay. Yeah, I don't really much worry about the warranty, but uh, I just want a good running running truck when this engine got to be replaced. But it's not giving me any trouble right now. But I should probably start start preparing eventually. So, alrighty, man. Yeah. Alrighty, guys. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's keep rolling through these. They're piling up on us. Let's go to Ohio. Chris, welcome. Yeah, fellas, can you hear me okay? Uh, you're a little quiet. Speak up, and we should be fine. Okay, how's that? Is that better, Kevin? That's better. Keep the volume up. We'll be good. All right. Um, I, I have an appointment next week over there at Pittsburgh Power to do the diesel forest clean. I talked to Pete last week. I was out west, started throwing a code. My question is, with the diesel force clean, one of the things that it says is a possibility for this code is excessive DEF in the exhaust. Does that clean that out? I'm not sure what that code is. Do you uh-huh. excessive DEF in the exhaust? I mean, that would be a doser nozzle, right? Well, I put one on it, actually, Pete, since I talked to you. That's one of the things I've done, and it's still throwing the code. It was a 52372. I, I was the one that was asking you about trying to make it home with it, and I did, and I'm actually running the truck today still doing local stuff with it. I have to keep clearing the code all the time, but I keep running it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it has a code for excessive DEF buildup because I don't know how it would know that, but it might be like uh, def quality low or some sort of low NOx well, and, and I'm getting those, too. This code actually comes back that might be a software update. It's just one of the things that it says to check. It's, and it says something about putting a service screen in it and all this stuff. But I just wondered when you do the diesel force clean, does it clean out the SCR also? Um, yeah, the fluid goes through it uh, as far as any buildup goes. Uh, typically, you 
it's hard to say. I don't I don't really know if it needs to build up depth, but usually a, a region will burn off most of that stuff if it's if it's not too built up. Oh. A region will burn off some of the the smaller stuff. I, that's kind of an update too. I talked to Jr. the other day. I've done the forced regens on this. The temps and the pressures look good on it. So the other thing it says is it could be a bad one box that the SCR has just failed. I hope that's not what it is. The truck's only got 473 on it, and I heard your comment just a minute ago. You've seen them fail below 600,000. Did you say <laughs> that it's a 520327 code? Uh, yeah, 520372. Yeah, I just Googled it real quick, and it's saying something about um, DEF underpressurized or overpressurized. So that's making me think some sort of like pump. Yeah, because it, it oh. you know, it uh, has to pump up the DEF like uh, 130 psi for it to inject. You know what, Pete? I've never put a filter on this truck. I bought this truck in February. I don't know if the DEF filter's ever been changed. Yeah, and if if you're not getting a good spray, like if it's underpressurized, then yeah, you're not going to get the the conversion rate. So then you would get low NOx conversion and everything like that. So. It all might be because your your def pump's not coming up to pressure. Well, I will see you all next Wednesday, and uh, and whatever's going on with it, I'm going to bring it to you. I'm not taking it to freight. I've dealt with freightliners before. All they want to do is throw parts at them. And I know sometimes you get in that position where that's the only thing you can do, but they don't even try, I think. I, I think they make money off the parts, and they're right there. They have them on hand, so it's the easiest way to do it. They don't care. Well, it's going to be guaranteed to be fixed if you just replace everything. So, so 100%. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, and they have the big fleets to keep them in business. They don't care about me. They, they're not trying to win business for me. They don't care. The, the yeah, service contract might make more. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, that's. I'll see you all next Wednesday. That's all I had. I just wondered if that fluid went through the SDR also. Oh, hey, one more thing, Pete. When we do the oil change, do you have a full synthetic option? Because I don't really care so much about the brand. Yeah, we have the Rochelle Retail T6, um, which is a full synthetic. And and I actually may just switch to that because it seems to be easier to find. I was Mm -hmm. using the mobile belt back because that's what the previous owner used. And that stuff's hard to find. And I also sent yeah, I sent an oil sample in there. It should have been shipped yesterday too, so we should have that back by next week too. Okay, bring it in with you. Okay, sounds good, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to California. Frank, welcome to the program. Good morning, guys. Good morning. I guess we're looking at an oil sample. Holy cow! Yes. All right, so let's get some history. How long have you owned this truck? Well, I excuse me. I have I have thirty trucks, and this is just a typical oil sample of one of them. Okay. And I've had it since it was new. And my concern is on the oil samples is the silicon level. Yeah. And this sample that I sent you is not uncommon. I I uh, I have a number of them that come back with with a high silicon level. Yeah, so are are you running catalyst at all? Yeah, uh well, I I I run I run catalyst and 20 of the trucks that are in Southern California were on our about our second month of that, and I have 10 trucks in Northern California that we do not run the catalyst in yet. Okay. Um it's a, it's a problem managing it. So. 
So the history on this, I only have two samples here, but when I go back to the right. sample from May, you had 60,000 miles on the oil. Now we have 86,000 miles on the oil. Is that correct? Is that the right mileage on the That's oil? Yes. Okay. Um, we've got some high wear metals, and the high wear metals are caused by the dirt. Now, they're not flagging the wear metals. They're not past their limits. But when I see, you know, 11 on copper, 10 on aluminum, um, your iron's okay, especially if this truck's had catalyst. But uh, back in May, the first sample I can see, your silicon was at 16. We don't like it to be above 10. Now it's at 22. You've got a breach in the intake system someplace. You're sucking dirt into this engine, and I would find it pretty quick, and I would get this oil out of there too. Okay. I wonder where the dirt's coming from because we we run all freight liners. Um, we're good about the maintenance on them as far as, you know, every 90 days we do a safety inspection. We check the air filter. Yeah, we're in the construction business. Uh, some of the jobs are in the dirt. Most of them, a lot of them are not, but we, we do do some jobs are in the dust. Um, I don't think, are you running paper filters? Yes. Okay. I, I don't think that it's the construction sites. You'd really be clogging okay. filters fast. And it, it, there's a breach in here somewhere. 22 is pretty darn high. Okay. Yeah, I get that quite quite regular on some of these trucks, and I just I'm just curious how that's happened. We've we've even gone so far far here lately that every 90 days when we do the safety inspection, we're actually changing that paper filter out. Now, so here's what I would Have try. You tried my- I, I I would try a fleet air filter on at least one of these trucks and see if it fixes this problem. It may be that this I- particular setup with this truck and engine. Is that maybe the filter's just allowing too much dirt, and it is that you're in a dirty environment? I really think I would try a fleet air filter on one. I have one. I have one on a truck that has been on for about a month to six weeks. We're trying it now. Okay. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, if you pull that sample and your your silicon is significantly less on that truck, that may just be the issue. Okay. I mean, I can't imagine why they've got a truck that's allowing this much dirt, but sometimes if you've got multiple trucks that are showing up like this, I, I don't think it's a breach. I, I think there's something else going on. Yeah, and I do have multiple trucks with this problem. This, this is the one problem we have on the old samples. Yeah, and the problem here but, is if this continues, this engine will not make it anywhere near a million miles. You'll wear this thing out. Okay. Let me ask you about the main, the maintenance program we use here. Okay. So see if, see what your thoughts are on this. We every thirty thousand miles we pull an oil sample. We change the OPS filter, and recently we just started changing the OPS filter and the oil filter on the engine. Is that is that I, a good program? I think that that's a waste or? of money. And I'll give you my history on this. When I first started using the OPS. And prior to that, I had used a Harvard filter, and I don't remember what Harvard's recommendation was. But when I started with OPS, their recommendation was that full-flow filter is doing almost nothing now. So they recommended I only change it once a year. They said all we're worried about is that the paper element will deteriorate over time. Other than that, that filter is doing next to nothing. And for a long time on several trucks, I just changed my full flow filter once a year. I don't remember why I changed, but I started doing it and recommending it at six months instead. But I would definitely not do it every 30,000 miles. 
Okay, we just started that. We were just doing the OPS filter, and because of the silicon level, started having them change the, uh, that, the other that, filter that, as well. Yeah, that's not going to do a bit of good. That other filter is allowing silicon to flow right through. So does the OPS, by the way. That That's why we okay. get silicon in. It, it's smaller than three microns, um, just like wear metals. Wear metals will always build up. We don't filter them out because they're too small. Even for a, for a bypass filter, they're just too small. So the, the dirt will continue to build up in that oil and changing the oil filter won't do a bit of good. Okay. I, I you know, okay, I, I the easy system that seems to work for everybody and save some money over what you're doing is every 30,000, take the sample, change the OPS every other time, change the full flow with it. Okay. okay. Well, I'll do that. And, uh, see what we get and then we'll try to figure out what this breach is but it's it's like i drive my guys nuts about this we you know like tell them take the whole system apart grease the grease the boots now you're all kinds of stuff trying to limit you're on the right track that's why i'm starting to think there's something else going on here if this was just one truck and we hadn't found it yet but it it sounds like you've been chasing this a while so i'm starting to think that there's there's a problem with the filter design in this truck yeah, we buy them right from Freightliner, the, the, the OEM filter. Right. They're like 120, you know. Um, yeah, I, yeah well, I know. you've got a fleet air filter in one. Let's, um, you know, when you get to 30000 on that one, let's check a sample and see if that's an improvement. Okay, well, do. Want to put a shout out for the uh, Catalyst. We've been running it. We're on our second month in the trucks in Southern California. It took us about a month to get a routine going, get my guys trained to, fuel the truck up at the end of their shift and bring it to the shop so we could treat the catalyst. Uh, we, I think we're on a, I think we finally got that part ironed out and uh, we'll see what happens after 90, 90 days. But I've, I've been running it in my RV for over a year. I know it works because my, my depth consumption is just really, really extended way out. So Excellent. Def, definitely works. Good um, to hear. All yeah, right. Well, uh, I want to thank you. For all your, yeah. I want to thank you for all you do. I've listened to you since day one. I haven't driven in years. I drove for a lot of years over the road, but uh, every Saturday and Sunday at one o'clock California time, I put my headset <laughs> on three hour walk. Yeah. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate it. I look forward to hearing back on yeah. this uh, this sample so we can okay. figure out what's going on. Yeah, very good. All right, thank take you. care. Let's go to Texas. Paul, welcome. Howdy. What's on your mind today? Uh. Oh, a few things now. So the guy that had the check engine light for the pressure or something to do with DEF, another guy I know, he had that a code pop up for that, and he took the cap off the DEF tank and put it back on, and the check engine light went out. So something simple you can try. There you go. Um, and I can prove that the world is not flat, because if it was... Cats would have knocked everything off the side by now. So, like <laughs> say that again. Say that again. The world, the world is not flat because if it was flat, cats would have knocked everything off the edge already. So, <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about your house cat that walks on the railing that likes to show off. Yeah, he's a, yeah he's a climber. So yeah. So, <laughs> um, so actually. When the when the nurse showed up yesterday to change the dressing on her arm, he'd actually caught a mouse and he had it inside. Well, 
then he, he let it loose while he caught it while she was there and he ate everything except the piece he don't like. But <laughs> the nurse was, oh, that's a really good cat, but she's putting on the dressing and the cat's there in the kitchen chewing on a mouse. So. <laughs> oh, God. So, <laughs> he's a hunter. Yeah. <laughs> they all hunt. Yeah. Um, all cats. Yeah, so the catalyst, I've been using that for about... 560,000 miles now and I've had good results so I'm sticking with it yeah yeah that's good so, so, and I had something else but I can't remember what it was so I guess I'll carry on alright I had something I wanted to ask you that I saw that you posted on Facebook and now I forget what it was too that's a good probably doesn't matter down if I don't I hung up on him anyway. I don't write him down, and I, I slip. I have, uh, I've done this on and off for a long time, but lately I make sure there's always a uh, notepad and something to write with next to my bed. I seem to wake up with all kinds oh, of ideas God. anymore. Oh, God. 3 o'clock in the morning, 3.30. Yeah, and then some mornings... You know, I used to I race... I, I, I will email, I email myself stuff. I'll be thinking I'll be at home either... You know, have to sleep, watch TV, and then like, oh, that's a good idea. And I will email yeah. something to work that I had a thought. I text myself. My it's easier. Well, then the reason I email is it's at work, and it's usually work-related. Oh, got it. So then okay. when I open up, oh, because my So you can, you can send yourself a text message? Yeah, I do it all the time. That's how I take notes. Oh. Okay. Because especially if I've got my phone... But I want that reminder or message or link on my laptop so when I'm doing my show prep and all that, it'll be there. So I just text it to myself, and then when I open up my laptop, there's a new text there, and I remember. All right, let's go to... <laughs> Paul just sent me something, a message about the... I... <clears throat> He had Biden figured out as a turtle or something, and he said, probably that. <laughs> uh, let's go to Dallas. Mark. One welcome. thing about Paul. He's... Paul can keep you laughing during the day. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Mark. Well, y'all were, were talking about, hey, can yeah. you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Okay, so so when y'all were y'all were talking, when I, what piqued my interest to call, you were talking about the elevation and altitudes of, of different areas. Uh, so... When I went to Pittsburgh Power a couple of weeks ago, I was like looking at uh, the altitude in different areas. Like in in the in the Nashville area, it was like 400 feet, maybe 500 feet. But when you get up into uh, Ohio, you know, you go up 65, 71. You get in Ohio, it's at like 12, 1300 feet. And when you get over to Pittsburgh, it's like around 1500 feet. So it, you're going uphill. And then, like in Texas, because I was complaining to Paul, I said, well, then I went out to Del Rio from San Antonio, and I said, my fuel mileage is up. He goes, well, it's uphill. So I started Googling what it was. It was 1,000 feet at Del Rio, where it was almost just a couple hundred feet in, in San Antonio. And then you go take it from Dallas here, where we're at 300 feet, and you go out to Lubbock. It's at 3,000, and Amarillo's at 4,000 feet. But you can track all of that more accurately on your watch if you have a Garmin watch. And it, you know, because I always noticed that when I came out of Nashville and went to the Gulf Coast, I always got better fuel mileage. But it was downhill to the, from, from Nashville going through Alabama down, down to New Orleans down there. So 
a few hundred feet elevation makes a lot of difference, even a thousand feet. But, you know, going out and like from here to Denver, you're going up to 5,000 feet from, from here in, in the Dallas area. And you get out there on 287 and your fuel mileage would dip down to four miles per gallon. So it's just, you know, the, the, the altitude and elevation changes makes all the difference in the world. Hey, Mark, I mean, when you leave Denver, and in an hour and a half later, or not even an hour later, you're at the Eisenhower, and you're 10,400 feet. Correct. So. There's, you know, and uh, that's even more. So it's just, uh, you know, there's a little area, there's a little area that I went to where I went up to have my EG, uh, 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 one box put in up at uh, TransWest over there a couple of years ago. I rented a car and I went over to uh, St. Mary's Glacier, which is just east of, uh, just just west of Denver, Route 70. And you can go and you just go straight up right through there. And it's just a couple of miles off. You go right up to 10,500 feet almost immediately. I just went over there just to see what it was like. So I've read where people some might go to that. Go ahead. Mark, you're, uh, you're a very unique individual and these mountains that you're climbing and you're looking for people to climb them with you. Why don't you tell people on the radio show uh, what you do and um, you would like to have some company? Well, uh, one of my hobbies I discovered when I went to uh, went out to Denver to buy my car hauler is like, I'd never really been to the mountains. I was like, hey, I want to explore all that. So uh, back in uh, 2021, I broke down in Flagstaff and I rented a car. I was already going to, to go to climb Mount Elbert, but you know, Jimmy Buffett was playing an Aspen the day after. So I rented a car when I broke down and just drove through Monument Valley and drove over there and I climbed uh, Mount Elbert, which is the second highest peak in the country. And I didn't have, I didn't have any experience. I had bad shoes, didn't have poles. I mean, I made it up and made it down by the grace of God. And then I discovered that, well, there was another higher mountain out in California in the Sierras, and I discovered the Sierras. So I've gone out to the Sierra Mountains like at least three times. And uh, to, to, I went out, and I was like, I'm going to do Mount Whitney. I went out there, and nobody wanted to go with me. I had four passes to go, and nobody would go. So I went out and uh, failed at it. I found some people on Facebook to meet up, and I failed at it a year ago. Then this year, I went back and in September, and I spent three days up at altitude from uh, Kearsarge Pass all the way over to, you know, I came back down, and I, I spent two days going up and down Mount Whitney. And uh, I recently went out to do White Mountain, but the wind was like, 40 miles an hour and it was below freezing and I got four and a half miles in and decided eh, the mountain will still be here. I'll just go back to go back to Long Pine. But it, that particular mountain is like very remote. Even though you're looking down at Bishop, California, you have to go back to Big Pine and you go about 14 miles up and then you get on another road and you go about 20 miles, well, 15 to 18 miles and you're like at the, you get on a gravel road and go about another 18 miles till you come to a gate, and that's where you start your hike at to go to a. It's, a, it's another 14 or 14,243 feet. So, you know, it's just. I don't guess it's for everybody, but it's like, you know, well, that morning I got up out there right after Nastic. I flew out there, and I texted a cousin of mine because I had a signal. I said it's it's 28 degrees and very windy. Oh, don't do it. I'm like. 
I'm already here. I'm going to go take a look around. So, I mean, I came that far. So it's like I put out three layers of clothes on and went four and a half miles in on a seven and a half mile trail was more like a road on this particular mountain. And before I decided to turn around, but it's like, when you do it, it's like, I'll tell you what, when I came down off Mount Whitney, I had such a sense of gratitude and gratefulness. The fact that I, I, I actually achieved that because a year ago I left town with my tail between my legs. Like I lost the Super Bowl, and I felt so defeated that I'm like, I made it a point that I'm going to come back in a year and do this. And I thought about it almost every day before I went back. And I even postponed it a month because of the snow was so much in the Sierras that the 99 switchbacks that you have to go up from trail camp going up to Whitney needed to melt. And that was, I was going to go in October. So I postponed it to September. But then when I got up there and it was like, you do it. And I sat up there and I made a pot of coffee uh, with my uh, little hooker thing. And I sat up there and drank a big old cup of coffee. And I was just like, I felt like, I mean, I was on top, I was on top of the United States, literally. And, uh, but I felt just coming down, I didn't even think about it other than the fact that I'm like, I now want to go back and enjoy it to see the things I missed along the way because I was so focused on getting to the top. So I really could do it again next year, just to miss, see the things that I missed along the way. Because when you, you're so focused on something and, and getting to a goal, you miss things along the way when you're so focused on things. That's just how it is. And so, so how old are you, I'll Mark? Go, I'll be 59 December 19th. So, and, and what nationality are you? Louisianian. I was raised and born in Louisiana. <laughs> but according to 23andMe, it's, uh, it's uh, European, 100%. Uh, I was adopted, Do you know what so. country in Europe? Do you know what country in Europe? Well, 23andMe says it's a combination of, of the U.K., France, and some Eastern European. Apparently, it's more the other two. So, you know, I'd have to go back and look because at it. But Because anybody that wants to do that with you, uh, you know, they can find you on Facebook or they can call Pittsburgh Power and we can get them in touch with you. Sure. But I'm telling you, for 59 years old, that's pretty remarkable to walk up there because, you know, I've played out there for many years and um, I'll go up those four. I, I can't go up the ones you're going on those paths, but we can get the 14-foot peaks on a snowmobile. And uh, you're right, it's it's different up there, and it can be very windy, and the wind can actually blow the snow right off the rocks. But um, well, I, you do I, it a on year foot, ago, and I give you I yeah. give you credit for doing it on foot because I, I that's a tough walk. Uh, um, a year ago, I did uh, Humphreys Peak in uh, Arizona, which is the highest point there. And the day I did that, that's a different one. You go through the woods, and then it's alpine only at the last thousand. It's, it's 12,600-some-odd feet. And when I got to the top, the only reason I wanted to go to the top of that one was the fact of doing it. But they say when you get to the top of Humphreys Peak, it's one of the best views of the Grand Canyon because you're up there, the highest point in Arizona, and you look down at the Grand Canyon. However, when I got to the top, the visibility was about – couple of hundred feet and the wind was just awful and it was just very cold it was in early october of a year ago and so i'd like to go back and do that one again that way on a day when i know it's going to be clear so i can see the grand canyon from that vantage point so you know it's it's not for everybody but it's just 
when you when you when you succeed, it's the best feeling in the world. But when you and then you have to know you have to be smart enough to know that you can always come back another day and that, you know, safety's paramount. And if things aren't right, I mean, I, I was the day before I did Mount Whitney this year, I went up to Kearsarge Pass out there uh, out of uh, Independence. And I got there and I went up and on the way back down, I wasn't wearing the Merrill boots. I was just wearing Hoka trail shoes. I rolled my ankle and I thought, hey, I've come this far and I roll my ankle. And it didn't amount to anything, but that right there could have caused me not to do anything the next day because everything has to be right. It has to be right. The weather has to be right. You know, you, you don't want to get up caught in a lightning storm. Everything has to be right to be able to do it. So there's really more failures than there is success because the you know every everything has there's so many critical things that have to be uh be right and you you have to go into it with the knowledge that if you don't make it it's okay you can always come back and uh i don't know it's a good feeling when you do it and you, and the people that you get advice from and all like that you just keep them know that you just thank them because i mean there's a guy that runs a small business in long pine it's called big willie mountaineering company and I've become friends with Blair, and he's a small business. This time of year, he's not doing anything. He has to make his money seasonally off the Pacific Trail hikers, uh, John Muir, John Muir, uh, John Muir Trail hikers, and the you know the people that do the Whitney Trail and other people that do other. But he's got a lot of knowledge in that, and we become friends. And it's like I have this Garmin inReach too, and he tracked me the whole way, and it was like. You know, because I could text from my phone because I had satellite communication. So, you know, you 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 meet people, and it, you meet really good people out there. I mean, it's like it, there's you meet all kinds of interesting people. It's it's fascinating. So, all right, you know, good stuff. I got a late start at it, but anyway. All right, we have got to get to some calls. Mark, we'll talk to you again soon. Let's go to Iowa. Matt, welcome. Good afternoon. Well, um, comment about elevation enough, but because I've run Florida most of my life out of Minnesota, yeah, I always got the best mileage going north. Really? But there's reasons for it. Okay, let's <laughs> hear. Typically, I'm always lighter going north. Yeah. Oh well, that would That's matter. Yeah. Reason is, is weight. Because of why going north, you're empty. Lighter. Lighter. Yeah. Just. I'm almost oh, you're always up. 40,000 going south in the box. And years ago when I used to haul plants, oh, I don't even know what those weighed. I mean, never enough to weigh them. But I would think in the spring, the heaviest time of the year, you might get 30,000 in the box, but that's probably pushing it. Um, but one other factor, when I used to fuel more often, there was a fuel stop in Florida that had extremely slow pumps. But they had cheap fuel, so a lot of weeks I'd deal with it if I had time. What I always come to find out is when I filled there, it seems like I got my worst fuel mileage. But then the next tank, I was always getting my best, so I thought they had really good fuel. Well, here, because their pump is so slow, a lot of the air gets out of the fuel while you're filling your tank. I was just getting more fuel while I was there than at a, a typical pump that pumps much faster. It's just like if you fill your truck and you sat there and waited five minutes, you'd notice you could your put tank more in. Would go down. Okay, you, you could put in. more in. Well, you know, Caterpillar said diesel fuel can be as much as ten percent air. That's a lot. Coming yep. thinks it's around three percent. So yeah, that's a lot. Yep. And you just 
thing about it, the faster the pump, the more aeration there is. Right. Splashing into the tank. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, it's only most of Minnesota, my house, we're around 900 feet. So 900 feet in Minnesota, down to Florida, and down in Homestead, the airport, I think is at 20 feet. Or maybe so let me ask you this. Very, very low. Matt, Matt, where does the Mississippi River actually start? Lake Itasca, which is kind of northwest of dead center Minnesota. And I believe... So it actually starts in Minnesota. Yep. And, I and where does it end up? I don't know the exact... It ends up in New Orleans, right? New Orleans, yeah. yeah I believe it's... And that water only goes one way, doesn't it? Yeah, I believe I believe it's fourteen hundred something for elevation. It's yeah. less than fifteen hundred feet at Lake Itasca. Hmm. So, speaking of that, do you know the longest navigable river in the world? The one in China? I don't know. There's a big one in China. Isn't it? What about the Nile? Mississippi is. Mississippi is the longest. Yep that they can actually run both yeah. up and down. I can believe that. So when I was in fourth grade, and my father had a boat in Pittsburgh, and, and the teacher asked, what's the only river in the world that flows from south to north? And I was excited. I raised my hand. She called on me. I said, the Monongahela. And she belittled me. Well, her question was an uh, incorrect I, I question. I only because I've... Exactly. Yeah, there's that, many. That's an incorrect question to ask. There isn't only one. The the um, St. John's River in Florida flows north out of the Everglades up the, all the way to Jacksonville to the ocean. The Kiski River in my area flows from Johnstown up to um, yeah. It's, it, that, wh- it goes. I mean, it's more east I can't to west, a, but it does correctly fashion. Uh, yeah, I can't believe a teacher would ask a question that's so. The question itself is wrong. Yeah, the the Red River, which runs through Fargo, North Dakota, that flows north up into Canada. Right. Yeah, there are a lot of rivers that float, which doesn't that kind of settle our debate about the things flowing downhill because we're on the side of the earth? Rivers flow north. They all flow downhill. (laughs) Yeah, some rivers flow north, though. How are they climbing up the earth? We lost Bruce, though, so there, we, we, a, we, we can yeah. talk about him because we well, lost him. There's also a continental divide for north versus south, where things will flow north versus south. So. Uh, yeah, you would think so. All right, we're we're uh, uh, we're trying to get Bruce back here. Let me see if we've got him. Bruce, do we have you back? You have me back. Okay. Have you, hey. cut, have you cut me off the last two times, Kevin? I don't know. I wasn't even touching the keyboard. I haven't. I sometimes I do hang up on people. Sometimes I hang up on myself, but uh, not today. I've been keeping my hands off. I Did knew you had the button. So the very first time I called you from Morgan, I knew you had the button. Yeah, I never used it. Not once. <laughs> Did so anyway, I get home from the fourth grade, and I tell my mother, and we get out the atlas, and we look, the Monongahela starts in West Virginia, comes straight north to Pittsburgh, joins the Allegheny, forms the Ohio. Well, so she came into class the next day. My mother did, and, uh, and proved to the teacher that I was right. But you, that teacher never apologized. She said the only river in the world that flows from south to north is the Nile. Bruce, we, we were talking no. about this. We didn't realize you were gone. <laughs> 
The teacher's question was completely wrong. There are probably hundreds or thousands of rivers in the world that flow north. The St. John's in Florida flows north from the Everglades out to the ocean at Jacksonville. They're, they're all over the place. Oh, okay. Lots of rivers flow north, which would yes, also, so by the way, wrong. Bruce, Bruce, you know what? This puts a big hole in your theory of going from New York to Florida and back. How can rivers climb up the earth like that? <laughs> Now, speaking of teachers and education, let's talk about another stupid statement from the uh, education secretary in the federal government. Did you see what this bonehead said? So talk about um, Miguel Cardona. He's the education secretary. Talk about getting the meaning of something so completely wrong and looking like an idiot. And he's the education secretary. Do you remember Reagan's quote, famous quote, everybody talks about it all the time. The nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm I'm here here to help. I'm from the government, here to help, yeah. You remember that one, Bruce? And it was... Reg- I do not, but I, I agree with it. It, it. Yeah, it was Reagan's contention that the government doesn't fix anything. That if the government's there to help you, you are in trouble. Now, this bonehead actually quoted Reagan. He said, and, and he's talking about this program they're going to bring in to help people. And he quotes Reagan and says, I think it was Reagan that said, we're from the government and we're here to help you. But he said it as a positive thing. He didn't realize he was quoting somebody who meant it the exact opposite way. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. Politicians. And he runs our education system. Yeah. Goes on and on. It does. It does. What else you got, Matt? Um, So here's one more interesting fact. You know the industry now worldwide that uses the most energy. Mm. I'll give you number two is the airline industry. Uh, ocean containers, ocean ships. No, no. It's electricity that they use the most of. Oh, most electricity, not just energy. Uh, well, it's what? energy, yeah. But the, the number one is a large consumer of electricity. Why does so why do the airlines use so much electricity? No, they don't. They use ener- just energy oh. is the answer. Oh, the one you're... Energy. Oh, but the number one is mostly electric. One is... Yep. Um, is it the making of electricity? It's the internet. <laughs> oh, especially now with Bitcoin our, our, mining. All of our data storage. Yep. Yeah. It's That it, it uses way more energy than, than but, any fuel-consuming industry. And... Does anybody really understand it? I know lots of people talk about Bitcoin. They invest in Bitcoin. But, but does anybody really understand it? What, what, we have these massive computer centers using all kinds of power, and they're mining Bitcoins. What, I, I, don't, I just don't get it. Yeah, I avoid it. I, well, I avoid For it, too. Some, some, every time somebody tries to explain it to me, I get more confused because I don't think they understand it. Or if they do, they haven't figured out how to explain it yet. That seems to me like a huge waste of energy. I, I mined coins for a couple months, and it was just a giant space heater. 
I like it warm. <laughs> like when I had my little mining rig, I had to move it to the basement. It was so hot. And that's just so hot. waste. That's waste energy and, and all the electricity being used to, to mine these coins. I, I just, I don't know. I can't get my head around it. it. And we never came out on top. We ended up in the red and gave up on it because me and a, a buddy went in on it. And for as Oof. much money as we had in the graphics cards and all the equipment, the motherboard, the processor and everything, um, we came out of it and we made like $1,200. We bought gold with it because we didn't have to pay taxes on it then. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> so, it, it just was, ended up in. So let's think about this then. You're, you're, you're fairly intelligent, really intelligent when it comes to this kind of stuff. You made a go at this, and had it worked, had you actually figured out that, look, all we have to do is buy this equipment, set it up, run it, and it generates revenue, what would you have done? You would have doubled the size of your setup, right? And then you would have doubled it again when you had to, and pretty soon you'd be a gazillionaire, right? So if this would work, well, what stops everybody from doing it? Well, it's the tricky thing, and especially anytime you talk about crypto. Well, we were just talking about this this morning, actually. When something happens in the world, the like the markets, like the tip, the standard markets, you know, in New York or whatever, they can kind of shift, and you can kind of guess which direction it goes, right? Something bad happens, the markets go down. Um, with Bitcoin, it can just sort of just fluctuate. Maybe there's a market you can kind of predict, but one day, and the thing is, when we were mining coins, we were mining easy coins. And the way I don't fully know how it works, but the way I kind of understand it is you, you have to create the coin. Like the miners like create the coin. They do all these calculations and algorithms to create the coin. And there's like a hash rate. And the more difficult coins, they take longer to process and calculate to make the coin. So when we were mining Ethereum, it took forever to get one coin. But we got in on some of these like lesser known ones that uh, like Monero is the one we were getting in on. And we can make... We made probably a dozen or so coins in a couple months. The coin was also only worth like $20 when we got into it, but then it kind of spiked up to maybe $60, $80. So the trick with the miners is not to mine like your standard Bitcoin because there's just no money in it. Like you said, you just waste energy. You waste, you make a lot of heat. If you get on in some of these like smaller or lesser known coins, you're pretty much just gambling that the, the coin so, is going to double, triple in size. So here's my take on that. I, so I, that makes a little bit more sense. There's a possibility somebody could make money if they make all the right decisions and mine the right coins at the right time. The problem I have with that, people will say, well, it's just like buying stocks. No, it's not. Because I have 150 years of history to know how stocks react to things in the market. And, and, and even that is really, really difficult. But now you're trying to guess on things that didn't exist a couple of years ago. No history on how any of this stuff is going to react to markets. And the, the, the problem we had, too, which was unforeseen, was we got in on this Monero coin when it was like $20. And it shot up to like $85. We're like, man, we cash in now. Like, we're going to make tons of money. <laughs> no one would buy our coins. <laughs> oh, they, so there's there's also not a, a – see, stocks have a guaranteed market. There's always somebody well, that will they, buy my stock. They knew that the, the crypto thing was in a bubble. And, like, every, all the prices shot up within, like, two weeks or maybe even less than that. Like, oh, this is going to be a bubble, and possibly tomorrow this coin is going to be worthless. I'm not going to give you $1,200 for your coins. Because they could be worth four hundred tomorrow. Oh, this is a fool's so game. This but is a. If I would have stayed, 
it, that coin is now worth $194 today, five years later. The more I know, the worse this sounds. It's a gamble. Yeah. Oh, it, it's all that it, it is. It, it, it's, a, it's a horrible gamble, too. There, there's you got almost no information. You have almost no control. I, if I buy a stock and I realize, hey, I, I've got some profit. I want to. I'm guaranteed to sell it. The brokers make the market, and and they don't ever refuse. I can short sell a stock anytime I want. I can buy a stock, sell it. I've, nobody ever says, yeah, you know, we think that stock's going down tomorrow. We're not going to buy it back from you. That never happens. Yeah, yeah. The, my, mining is not for money. Mining is just for uh, uh, mining on a small scale, I should say. If you're mining on like a small scale, you're not in it for the money. You're just in it because you're a little nerdy and you like to play with computer stuff. Like if you're mining on a big scale where it doesn't take you six months to make 12 coins, but in six months you can make, you know, 2000 coins, then yeah, if there's like a, a double in the market, then you can make a lot of money. But on a small scale, you don't make any money. Ah, oh, all right. Well, that was a good education. Yeah, I I tried to explain it to my kids because my youngest is into it. I mean, he's got maybe a thousand bucks in Bitcoin he's bought. He's not mining it. He's just buying it, investing. It, you're just investing in a currency. So with you no, go buy Japanese yen. Or but something. again, but I'll you go, have uh, less information. Yeah. Uh, almost no information. No good historic data. Yeah, that is, and and not a good market. I'll go back to currencies. There's always a market. Yep. Yep, the, the, the history is very short. Yep. You don't have even a political agenda that you can attach right. to the country. Like right now, you know, the, the Russian, they still use the ruble, or I don't know what it's called anymore today. But if it, it's the ruble, I mean, you could look at what's going on in correct, Russia and right. try to predict if that's going to go up or down in the future. But how do we know what Bitcoin's going to do? And it seems to me, like all of these coins, the, the cryptocurrencies are are um, wildly volatile. They seem to move for no apparent reason. Like if Elon Musk tweets about them? Right, stuff like that. Um, Here's the other thing that confuses this. When you start talking about cryptocurrency, there's really two big issues. One, do you want to invest in cryptocurrency? And my answer is absolutely not. I can't think of a worse investment with with more risk and problems but then the other issue is do we want to use a decentralized cryptocurrency that the government can't control that's a whole different issue though yeah on the surface i like it but then it also has a huge risk it does right right and what what we might also end up with is a centralized digital currency and i want nothing to do with that Yep. I don't want a digital currency that the government controls. Yeah, because in, in the instance of fraud or, well, I mean, the government can... Yeah, just take my fraud, money. But they, what happened, yeah, yeah. in Canada with, right. the, with the protest. It'd be so much easier. They can see you know, when, yep. when I'm worried about the banking system, I take physical cash out of my bank and, and put it someplace else safe. And then I, 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 I've, I've also, and I don't read too deep into these stories because I really don't want to know all that much, but I, I've seen way too many headlines of somebody loses a billion dollars because they can't remember their password. Yeah, that, that's scary enough there in its own. Yeah. But 
uh, to bring it back to trucking to get the show back on track. Yeah. Uh, I called a uh, long time ago about an issue with my ABS, and it was just the light flickering and ended up being all in the fuse box. My ground on the fuse box was bad, and then a couple of the circuit breaker wires, we've been in and out of there several times repairing and patching, and I think everything's finally back to normal. So, so Leroy frustrating. had... Uh, well, I talked to Leroy on the phone about it, but it was my local yeah. shop that did a lot of the work. No, I just wanted to say over the years we've, especially like on the 379, the fuse panel that's in front of the left foot, the clutch foot, haven't we found a lot of corrosion in those, Leroy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's common. Yeah. So. Yeah, well, it's older trucks and, you know, two coming up on two and a half million miles on this truck. Yeah, it's, you know. Yeah. That's a few miles. These otter yeah. problems. Yeah. See, they ought to, the winter rates should be double what they are in the summertime to pay for all this extra damage the salt and the mag chloride cost. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. All right, Matt, we will Bye. talk to you again soon. We're going to grab our uh, last call of the day. We're going to go to South Carolina. Terrence, you get the final word. All right, what's up, Kevin? Quick thing, this is just for Tony with that pack car. It's on his dash. It has an auto button, and a, and it says max. Sometimes that auto button comes on, and if the bulb burns out, it doesn't show on there. And the auto button, it kind of like picks up it, it, the, the, that that temperature that he was talking about. It won't it won't pick that up. It won't pick up the temperature. Says it just adjusts. I forget that between the ambient temperature, so much of a degrees up, it'll it it'll, it adjusts it to. So if that light is out on auto, or sometimes it gets stuck and doesn't come, the light doesn't come on, and it does that. So it could be that. Oh, that might be that might be switch. a quick fix. Good info. That's it. All right, that's all we need. All right. Thanks Later. for the heads up on that one. Um, anybody have anything they want to close with today? Yeah, just that our Black Friday Cyber Monday sale is still on, and we'll run to Friday, September first. Uh, well, I have the same kind of announcement, except my ours is just today. We're, we extended it one day, and ours is really simple. You can basically get 20% off anything in the store because we're giving 20% off gift cards. So stock up on gift cards. Um, it'll be a tax write-off for you anyway before the year's out, so you should stock up on gift cards and then use them when you need them, and you'll be getting 20% off all of your future orders. So... All you have to do is uh, put a gift card in any dollar amount. You know, if you buy a $100 gift card, you'll get it for $80. Just put it in your cart. The discount will be figured for you, and you'll be all set. Also, there is only a couple days left, the end of the month, for the um, group coaching discount. So if you join the group coaching and one fee or group coaching covers everything I'll be coaching on, personal finance, budgets, retirements, taxes, business, health, whatever it is, um, I will work with you directly in the group coaching program for as long as you need help and as long as you're in the program. You can start and stop anytime you want. It's monthly. But Right now, instead of $72 a month, if you join, it will be $52 a month for as long as you stay in the program. Now, if you ever cancel or pause and then come back, you'll come back at the $72 rate. But uh, 
Jump in now, and you're going to get the best deal we offer. All right, we're going to wrap this up. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power, as always. We'll do it again next week. I will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.